You're listening to the Ambition Incubator podcast, and I'm your host, Deirdre Morrison. My thing is helping people understand how our brains work so that we can be better and do better in any area of life that's important to us. So as well as bite-sized brain science, I'll be bringing you interviews and advice from experts and guests who specialize in working with entrepreneurs and leaders to help them explore potential, possibilities, and ways to be more effective. And the best bit? We can start right now. Occasionally, I meet a guest who's got such an abundance of experience that knowing where to start with the questions is a bit overwhelming. And sometimes in instances like this, I ask my guests to play a little game with me and write a letter to their younger selves, offering them key advice that they've learned in the intervening years. Gordon Van Wetchel is a man with extensive experience built up over many years, and he's compressed it into five beautiful pearls of wisdom for us. And it has to be said, this wisdom applies not just to business, but to a more holistic approach to a balanced life. But the other thing about Gordon is that he's got a great way of explaining things, things that he's clearly learned and honed over the years. These days, he helps businesses from solopreneurs upwards to market their businesses. He gets it because he's actually been there and done that while building his own businesses. And we'll get into some of that too. And I'll ask you to excuse me if I sound a bit enthusiastic about his book, Core 5 Marketing, because I really do think it should be part of any emerging business toolkit. Anyway, we'll come to that later in the episode and you will find a link to a free copy of the book and other details about working with Gordon in the show notes. But for now, welcome to the episode and take a few minutes with me to enjoy and absorb some profound advice from an absolute gentleman. Dear Gordon, in the spirit of A Christmas Carol with proper homage to Charles Dickens, I'm coming to you as the ghost of business future. After 40 years of building businesses, both successful and not so, Here are five lessons I wish I'd learned sooner. One, stop trying to be the expert at everything. Focus on what you do really well, your unique gifts, and then find people who are good at and enjoy the things you don't. Not only will you experience greater and faster success, the journey will be a lot more fun. Two, what seems like failure at the time won't be if you take a breath and learn from the mistakes. Not every idea will succeed. That could be due to bad timing, not enough money, misjudging product-to-market fit. There's a lot of reasons. Don't obsess over these times. Learn and move on. Related to this is the reality that you will encounter so many good ideas and opportunities, more than you could work in three lifetimes. Learn to say no. Just because you hear about or even create a great idea doesn't mean you should pursue it. Find the diamonds and throw away the coal and realize most of it is coal. Number three, build a business, not a job. A business is where you take your skills and ideas and leverage them. You create something where you can involve other people and their ideas and energy. Working 60 hours a week is not a badge of honor. It means you're not managing things well. Four, reserve at least four hours a week for thinking. Get away from your desk, take a yellow pad, turn off the phone, and let your mind unwind from the tyranny of the urgent and get creative. Stop searching for answers. Focus on asking the right questions. And five, be gracious to everyone. It's too easy to fall into the trap of looking at everyone you meet for what they can do for you today. And if the answer is nothing, you cast them aside. Don't succumb to this way of thinking. Instead, look for what you can offer to the people you meet along the way. Let your focus be outward more than inward. 
Let your mantra be giver's gain. Incorporate these concepts and you will have a great career in life. To your success, Older Gordon. Gordon, that was wonderful. Thank you so much. I love that. A little long, maybe, but, you know, once I got rolling, there were a lot of things I wanted to share. I'm sure there were. I mean, you've had a, such an interesting career. I mean, that, that I, to get it down to five, I think, was probably quite an achievement <laughs> in itself. <laughs> so let's unpack a little bit here, because these are amazing little jewels that you've given us. The very first one, stop trying to be the expert. And somebody told me that one time, and it really, it took time to sink in. It did take time mm. to sink in. But once yes. it did, it it was so liberating and it really changed everything. What was the moment? Was there a moment that made you um, realize that that was trying to be the expert was maybe a, a hiding to nothing? Well, I think the the real change in in my thinking about that came when I really wanted to scale the business and realized that I couldn't keep doing all of that. I couldn't get to where I wanted to just by myself. And sometimes you run up to limitations of what you know, and you have to get advice from other people. And in a couple of those cases, the consistent advice was, you need to bring in somebody that can help you with that. Uh, For example, uh, accounting and financial management, Uh, not a strong area for me. And when we were building the mortgage company, uh, which was the biggest company I've built, uh, we very quickly outpaced my ability to properly manage cash flow and project where we needed to go. And I think one of those epiphany moments was when my CPA sat down with me at the end of one of our early years in business. And she goes, congratulations, Gordon, you increased your revenue by a million dollars this year. And I said, well, that's good, isn't it? She goes, well, it cost you 950000 to do it. So no, it's not very good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, those are uh, painful moments of of triumph in a way, aren't they? Oh, boy. So, yes, I quickly brought in some expertise and, you know, we were able to build a very successful company. But I think that there's a temptation, particularly when you're starting a business, to feel like you have to be able to do everything. Mm. And the reality is you have to know how to find somebody that's an expert at doing those things. Yeah. You need to you know, you you can delegate, but you can't abdicate. You have to continue to to work with those people and make sure that they're accountable and that they're moving forward towards the goals you've agreed on for the enterprise. But you can't do everything. You have to bring in smart people and trust them to do well. Mm-hmm. And of course, from your own CV and, and the things that you've achieved over the years, this isn't what you what you do now is not what you started doing. You became an expert in something that wasn't necessarily the original plan from the looks of things. Well, yeah, interesting insight. Yeah, the, the three successful companies that I've built were in three different industries. And when I sold the last company uh, in 2001, I was looking for the next adventure. And one of the things I realized is that the marketing and the direct results marketing that we had used to build those companies was something that a lot of smaller enterprises needed. Uh, But there wasn't really a way to get that in those days unless you were to go hire a a big-time ad agency or even a big agency in your city. And, you know, as startup entrepreneurs, we can't stroke a $10,000 or $12,000 check to an ad agency and hope something happens. 
So I started Alchemy with the idea of helping those smaller businesses or even startups learn how to do or get access to direct results marketing that would enable them to grow, but that would also be very accountable to what they needed. One of the challenges with working with a big agency is oftentimes there's a lack of accountability. You know, they can't necessarily always provide quantitative results from the work that they've done. Mm. And for a small company, you have to have that. You you can't just hope that things are going to work out. Yeah. And and that uh, that ties in, I guess, with so many of these other things here, including, you know, the idea of failure. Because so many of us, when we start out with businesses trying to build something, we do fail and we fail quite often in that uh, yes. attempt to connect with a market. It, mm-hmm. It's it's one of the the real stumbling blocks for for the for the young and emerging business. And it, it's tough to stop blaming yourself. Tough to, tough to stop thinking that you failed at something. Uh, and you know, to a certain extent, you did. You misjudged the market. You know, you put time and money into something that just wasn't the right place to be at that time. But it, it's kind of like the advice that that gamblers give you in Vegas. Uh, you know, cut short your losses and ride your winners. And if you can recognize early on that your business, that you've missed it, that it's just not the right time for that business or you're not the right person to, to pull that business together, uh, pull out and, and go work at something else. Uh, there's, you know, there's no shame in that if you learn from it. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that almost segues into learning to say no. And sometimes we have to learn to say no to oh. ourselves as well, don't we? We have these ideas and we kind of connect ourselves and our identity with this idea that we're going to do something, but it's not maybe always the right thing. It's not always the right thing. And even when you're, at least for me, in my experience, uh, the company we have now is quite successful, but I know myself, I'm always looking at the next bright, shiny object. And one of the mandates I've given my chief operating officer is, I have to run every major purchase by her and she has veto power and she can challenge me to not to just go buy this because it looks like some cool thing that we might use someday. Yeah. And certainly in the digital marketing space, there's lots of cool things that are developed every day. Oh, tell me about it. I know. (laughs) Building a business and not a job. That's another really, I guess, poignant thing. We've got so many people, again, we're in the middle of the great resignation and people are thinking, you know what, I've had enough of corporate and I I believe you you had an early experience with it and said never again. But there are people who've maybe had 10, 15, 20 years and are now deciding I want out. And they are looking to start something for themselves as well. And sometimes that's, you know, it's not for everyone, this entrepreneurial lifestyle, is it? No, it's really not. And they can end up you know, just building a job instead of a business. Mm-hmm. What's the difference? Well, a job is where everything's dependent on you, where you don't feel like you can trust your people or you don't have people. Uh, you can't really control your hours. You're, you're locked into making all of the decisions. You've put all of the money in and you're, you're concerned about whether or not you're going to get a return on that. Uh, but a business is where you're taking your expertise in an area, your knowledge in an area, and you're creating a concept, but you're also involving other people and trying different markets, making sure that you, you've got a product to market match or a service to market match. 
but you're not obsessing over the business 60 or 70 or 80 hours a week. You, you, you have a balance in your life. Mm. You know, you're able to, to spend time with family if, if that's a priority for you, or you've got uh, volunteer things that you do for causes you believe in, and you can still spend some hours each month working on those things. You, you have a life and you prioritize that in addition to your business. Mm-hmm. To me, I think that's the essential difference. And, you know, my first, I grew up in the restaurant business. I started working in commercial kitchens when I was in high school. And the first company I was involved in building was a restaurant company. And that's one of those businesses that sucks you into 70 and 80 hour weeks. Um, you know, on the one hand, I, I learned a good work ethic. On the other hand, I didn't learn that work-life balance until after we sold that company and later in life. You know, that's why I wrote that in the letter. If, if you can strike that proper work-life balance early in your career, again, I think when you get to the point where you're looking back on it, you're going to feel much better about the, the total quality of life that you've enjoyed. Mm, and, and that is so important because people do forget that the work affects the relationships, affects the health, affects the work, affects the relationships, yep. affects the health. It's, they're, they're all bound up together, aren't they? And when that balance is gone, when that balance is slips away sometimes, people don't actually even see mm-hmm. it slipping away because it goes gradually, yeah. not suddenly. And then yep. they're left with a burnout or a divorce or, you know, a cancer or whatever it is that has taken them down because they they haven't tried or maintained that balance. Yeah. Yeah. P- particularly as you as you age, I mean, you've got to have a little time in your week for exercise. I mean, you've got to rejuvenate your mind. There's just so many things that we need to do to be properly balanced Mm. individuals. And, you know, if your whole focus is working and if you're always tyrannized by whatever seems to be urgent in your business at that time, you're never going to have that balance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even like you said, to, to refresh the mind, and that is one of the things that we absolutely need to keep it healthy, to, to keep that neuroplasticity and the ability to learn and do new things and take on new challenges. We need that. Yeah. So um, hopefully anyone who is unbalanced and listening to this has taken that on board. (laughs) If you haven't, (laughs) listen again. (laughs) And lastly, Gordon, be gracious. That is such a beautiful sentiment. Um, And doing things for other people without necessarily expecting them to do something back for you. I love that ethos. That is really wonderful. And again, when you're in the nitty gritty, in the weeds of building a business, oftentimes it's hard to look past what a, a contact or a relationship or a meeting is going to do for you immediately. You really see this if you go to networking groups, as people stand up and, and share what they do. There's almost this sense of desperation. You know, I've, uh, how, can, how can you help me today? The whole giver's gain philosophy that you read in several books, uh, it's, it's a common theme. But if you can incorporate that into how you interact with other people, uh, again, it comes back to you. You know, I think even Jesus said the same thing, cast your bread on the waters and they'll return. He may have been talking about tithing, but but again, in in relationships with people, if you express uh, support for them or even understanding or sometimes even tolerance, uh, that will come back to you. Yeah, it's a far more, um, we describe it as being above the line, you know, that we have this approach of being, you know, innovating and engaging and helping out and, you know, just just seeing the world as a positive place rather than the dog-eat-dog kind of competitive nature that we would associate, I guess, with that older style of uh, pushy sales and all of those things. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's well said. The old one plus one equals three is really valid when you can cooperate with someone and and work together and create that synergy. Mm-hmm. Gordon, that was a really, really beautiful letter. I really enjoyed that and talking through it with you. Thank you. There's a couple of other things I would like to talk about before you have to leave me. One of them is your book, which is available on your website, um, and it's called Core 5 Marketing. Now, this is something that you, I, I absolutely love this, by the way. I was flicking through earlier and haven't got it all read. But what I will say to anyone who's listening to this is that it is such a down-to-earth look at what you need in a business for marketing. I mean, I've I've been around the kind of online learning space for a few years and <laughs> you know, I, I've seen people pay an awful lot of money for quality that is not anywhere near as good as what is in this book. So go to the website and have Thank a look you. at it. A few of the things, just as an example of the, the sort of thing that you're talking about, um, one of them was uh, looking at Google's customers. Who are Google's customers and what do they want? And so few people actually think about this when they are um, putting their SEO together. Would Could you summarize that uh, section for us, Gordon? Sure. A lot of people are under the impression that Google's customer is either the company that's spending a lot of money on Google AdWords or a business that's advertising that that has a website. But the reality is Google's customer is the searcher. Their whole focus is to make sure that person that goes to Google's search engine looking for something gets the answer quickly as possible, the fewest keystrokes they possibly can. And that impacts, as business owners, that impacts how we structure our websites. If we are using Google Ads as a marketing channel, and I think most businesses should be, uh, it impacts how we create our landing pages and enhance our quality score. I would take it a step further, and, and I do so in the book. Most business owners don't understand or haven't really carefully defined who their ideal customer is. And many times we'll have a, a discovery conversation with a business owner and, and I'll ask this question and, and they'll go, well, you know, almost everybody needs my product or service. They may not know it yet, but almost everybody can use what we do. And, and that may very well be true, but unless they have Pepsi-Cola's ad budget, they're never going to have the opportunity to reach everybody. So you have to really focus on those people that you can best reach quickly, uh, the late Dan Kennedy, who was a genius marketer, you may have read some of his stuff as well, but Dan Kennedy was fond of saying the riches are in the niches. And I don't know if he originated that phrase, but but it's exactly right. The more you can niche down your marketing target, the higher the return on that marketing investment and the more quickly you'll be able to grow your enterprise. Yeah, yeah, that defined audience where we can actually speak to a person, an individual rather than a population. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Yep. Mm. So you mentioned sales pages or landing pages um, when you were talking there as well. And that's one of the other things that I I liked in this was the description of why we actually need them. Because, you know, everybody thinks, oh, yeah, I must do a landing page or whatever, but they don't necessarily understand why or why it's so important or what it's actually doing. And again, this is what I love about this book, that it's so full of, oh, right. Yeah, that that makes so much sense. Now I understand why it's important to get this right. In, in ter- is is there anything within that that you know you would just like to um, highlight for people? 
Sure. I think there's two reasons, two primary reasons why having a landing page. And let's first define a landing page. If someone clicks on an ad, you want to take them to the answer to the question that caused them to click. You know, the classic example is the 24-hour plumber. Uh, you know, a customer needs that 24-hour plumbing service in the middle of the night, and they click on an ad, and it takes them to you know, Joe's Plumbing and their homepage, and they see a picture of Joe's trucks, and they find out they've been in business for 23 years, and all of these wonderful platitudes about Joe's business, but it doesn't say anything about 24 hours. They're going to click off of that and go to another site that takes them to a landing page that says, hey, 24-hour emergencies, call this number, done. Mm. Now, the reason that's important is twofold. One, we've solved the problem for the customer and gained a customer for our business. But two, Google very closely monitors how long someone spends on a website. And if they click on a paid ad and they immediately bounce off of your website or within a couple of seconds, then what that says to Google is that person did not find the answer to their question when they clicked your ad. And they're going to downgrade your quality score. And it's the quality score matrix that determines how frequently your ads are placed in rotation and how much you pay for those ads. So we always want to build landing pages, which are you know relatively low cost and easy to do. We want to build a landing page for a specific ad campaign. Yeah, I mean, that that's just so useful um, as a piece of advice. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I, it's, it's, it's making so much sense to me because... Um, Again, you know, I, I'm probably not far off your your ideal customer either, you know. Um, so a lot of these things I can really associate with. You know, I've done these websites over the years. I've um, wondered why this doesn't work so well or uh, have I done it right? Or, uh, you know, is that old news because it's yesterday or where are we going with it? Um, so it is very confusing for people. And I think to have that reassurance um, that understanding in very layman's terms. This isn't full yeah. of jargon. That's the important bit here, that it is so understandable. Gordon, where can people find out more? Because I understand you, you you work on a very full service agency with people. What What is it that you would do if somebody was saying, right, you know what, this guy sounds like the business. I think I probably need to talk to him about this. Mm. What should they do next? Well, they can go to our website, thealchemyconsultinggroup.com. There's contact forms. There's a a way to book on my calendar. But really, the first step that we like to take with a prospect is to set up a 20 or 30 or 40 minute discovery meeting where we can learn more about their business uh, and they can learn more about us. Let's see if we're really a good match. Uh, Let's see if what you need is something that is in our wheelhouse that we can do a good job for you and provide that. Uh, so that first meeting is an important place for for both sides to just really get the feel for what it might be like to work together. And then based on that, uh, if it makes sense, then we'd put together a proposal for, for that company that would fit their budget and what they're trying to accomplish in the near term and long term. Uh, a lot of the companies that we work with tend to be on the smaller side. I mean, under a million and a half dollars in revenue. And frequently what will happen is we'll, we'll start with one or two marketing channels. And as those build out and they grow their business, they'll allocate some of that increased revenue towards adding more marketing channels. So we grow with them. You know, Our goal every time we start with a new client is to become their in-house marketing company. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's, it's it is reassuring, and I think that's one of the things that you know it it is such um, a traumatic sort of process to have to go out there and try and find someone who is going to do your Facebook ads or um, get your SEO done or any of these things, and they all seem to be different people. So <laughs> that that is that is something that um, makes a lot of sense and seems very efficient to have it in one place. Yeah, good. I, I think that's been our objective. In fact, we've in the last couple of years, we've reduced the number of services that we offer so that we could focus on those things that will really move the needle for a customer. I mean, there's a lot of bells and whistles that we can offer, but they don't really make the phone ring more or bring more traffic to the website. They don't really help our clients uh, meet their objective as well as we'd like. So we've actually reduced our services mm. so that we can focus on those things that will move the needle for a client. Mm. Um, and. The the core five the, these are the five strategies that you recommend. Is that is that right? Did I get that right? Yeah, I think you know we always suggest that somebody needs to have a basic website. Uh, doesn't have to be really expensive. Doesn't have to be a hundred pages, but it it needs to have a couple of important things, and that becomes your foundation. So a website, your Google business profile is also important. But once those are in place, then your online reputation. And then driving traffic. Uh, and that can be done through a variety of ways, through Google ads we've talked about, through retargeting, through banner campaigns that can be focused on very specific ways. So once you have the foundation in place, driving traffic is what's important. Now, I haven't mentioned SEO. That's also important. But for most of our clients, that becomes something we do down the road. Mm. The reason I say that is because it's both expensive and time-consuming. And what we want to be able to do is make sure that we're providing results for our clients quickly so that then they can afford to do the SEO and some of the more sophisticated strategies further down the road. Yeah, yeah. So again, it's kind of you, you cut from the cloth that is available at the time. Well said. Yep. Mm. Yeah. You know, something else that we encounter a lot is people will say, well, gee, I need to be on all these social media platforms and I don't know what to do. And again, it comes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago. Social media is important if that's where your ideal customers are going for information. If your customers aren't there, then you don't need to spend time or money being there yourself. So again, it comes back to really understanding your customer what their priorities are, where they go for information, and then making sure that you're providing that information in those places that they look. Yeah. And I'm not sure where um, this question fits, but people are native to some platforms and non-native to others. For instance, you know, a generation will have grown up with Facebook and they will um, find that mm -hmm. very comfortable and they will use that. But that's not necessarily where their audience is either, is it? That's exactly right. And again, it's a matter of understanding the demographics and the psychographics of your audience. Uh, for example, the, a real change in the last few years is that broad category that we refer to as millennials. They're not really using Facebook much anymore. They're on Instagram. Uh, so how do you manage then if, if you are uh, of a certain age and you're dealing with um, the TikToks and so on of this world? Is Is that something that you would say, okay, yeah, don't worry about being the expert in that. Is this where we, we don't, we stop having to be the expert? We hand this over. Well, 
the deeper question you're asking is, should a business consider using an ad agency? And of course, I'm biased because I own one, but my, my response is generally yes, but not just for enlightened self-interest. One of the things that takes a great deal of time and a lot of study is marketing and just trying to keep up with what's going on in marketing today. Mm. Uh, if you and I put our heads together, we could probably come up with 30 or 40 different marketing channels in 15 minutes. Well, as a business owner, when you're managing your employees and dealing with your customers and inventory and all of the things that are involved in running a business, you don't have time to go study and figure out which of those channels is going to be the most effective for you and then test them and continue to test them and calculate your ROI. And it's just, you know, I had an interesting conversation. We've done a lot of business in the roofing industry over the years. And I had this grizzled old roofer come up to me after an association presentation one day and he goes, well, Young man, how many, which I appreciated right away, young man, <laughs> how many roofs have you put on? And I said, well, sir, I've never put on a roof, but I'm not here to tell you how to install a roof. You already know how to do that. I'm here to tell you how to get more roofs to install. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, yeah, that's worth having, isn't it? <laughs> that's right. So again, I think that back to what I said early on, there's some things that we should manage ourselves and some things that we should outsource. And for most business owners, particularly in the early stages and, you know, until they're up to that five or six or seven million dollar range, marketing is one of those things they could they should consider outsourcing. Mm. And again, you don't just hire an agency. You've got to make sure that they're accountable, that you're getting regular reports where whatever you're spending is quantified so you can calculate that ROI. Yeah. That regular communication is really important. Gordon, that has been so incredibly useful. And I'm sure that um, there will be people listening to this who have had their eyes opened to what a marketing um, partnership, I guess, can be with an agency. So thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your time. Absolutely loved the letter. I'm definitely going to have to go back and listen to that again straight away. Um, So thank you so much, Gordon. I really, really loved meeting you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You're still here? Great. Look, I know there's a lot to choose from out there, so thanks for flying with Ambition Incubator Airlines. And I look forward to seeing you on board again soon. Seriously, though, thank you for tuning in. My guests and I love hearing about what inspires you on the show and what advice has made a difference in your life or work and what you'd like more of. So get in touch. If you want to know about my other work, head over to ambitionincubator.com for details. And don't forget to hit subscribe for more great interviews, advice, and bite-sized brain science every week. 